As I was thinking about what to share, um, we were talking about sort of the arc of our stories over these next five weeks, and the general arc being, you know, starting with, you know, how we experienced dismembering um, when we were younger, or even currently, and then how we experienced remembering, and then what are the practices or readings that have helped us kind of do, um, contribute to our, our, our remembering. Um, and it just reminded me of another arc that we use sometimes to talk about salvation history, which is um, creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And that popped into my head as I was thinking about how to share my story. And I liked the idea of starting with creation because um, sometimes in the Christian tradition, we talk about original sin as if that was like the very beginnings of things. But actually prior to that was original goodness. And you might remember in the story of Genesis 1 um, that the Lord you know, creates you know, over the course of these seven days. And at every point, the Lord says, and it was, saw that it was good. And, and then when it culminates on the, seventh day, uh, on the sixth day with the creation of human beings, it says, and God saw that it was very good. So I was thinking back to this idea of like creation and original goodness and was remembering like as a child, like my earliest memories were um, like experience, like I was very much in my body, you know, in a very real way, like running, playing. And um, I actually brought a show and tell picture of little Christine Kim. <laughs> Can you tell which one is me? Yes. Which one? On the left, yeah. <laughs> so that's me with my sister Eunice. Yeah, my sister. <laughs> that's right, with the food. <laughs> and um, so I must have been like three, three-ish or so at that time. This is in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, and then here, um, I was probably like maybe seven or so. Um, also with my sister Eunice. And uh, this is here with some of my school friends at Columbia Park Elementary School. Oh, I don't know if you can see it this way. No, I can see. Yeah, and so, um, at, so at Columbia Park Elementary School, it was in Landover, Maryland, and it was more of like a low-income community, and there were like lots of like like children of Korean immigrants and black kids. Like that was like the that was the demographic, and then there was like the random like white little white kid, but the white kids were definitely in the minority, and um, I remember at that time like um, I, like I, every day at recess all the little black girls would um, gather on the playground during, during this recess time, and they would do these cheers that I really loved. And so um, I remember these, I remember my favorite one. I'm not gonna perform it for you right now. <laughs> it went like this. So we'd all gather around. This, it went like this. L-O-V-E, love, L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E, love, L-O-V-E. Christine's my name, and love is my game. I've got the boys on my mind. Taurus is my sign. And who blows your mind? My mommy blows my mind. Hit it. Uh, 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 uh. All right. Uh, 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 uh. Hit it. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is, like, I had, I like had no sense of me being different than those little black girls on the playground. Like, it was just like we were all there together, using our bodies, like doing these. I've got like a whole slew of them, <laughs> like doing these cheers, and um, did not feel any kind of self consciousness. And even when I was looking at like these old pictures of me as a kid, 
I feel like there's a sort of like a confidence, you know, that I had as a little kid um, in those days. So that's sort of like original goodness. And then I think about like, you know, what's my first memory of like brokenness um, in my body? And so it was like maybe probably the year after these, these pictures were taken in the second grade, um, I moved, my family moved to a suburb. Um, it was like a nicer suburb. And so it was like a nicer school. And as you might imagine, it was like a predominantly white school with very few uh, minority kids. And um, almost like immediately, I started getting bullied and just like picked on and, and called you know, names. And I had this memory of like, it was like this group of, of girls that I kind of fell in with and like kind of in the way that kids can be really cruel, like they wanted me around just to pick on me. And I remember like I would walk home and like I lived on the street called Jody Street and there was this ritual where like every day after school, we would walk to my corner and like I would like dutifully hold out my arm and then they would all pinch me. You know, and um, and it was just like every single day, like we would just that was just what they they wanted to pinch me, and um, and so and I let them, and you know imagine like you know as I've been thinking about embodiment, a lot of the things we're reading or talking about, like if your body could talk, like what what would it say? And I, I feel like in that moment of that earliest moment, um, I feel like my arm would say, like why are you letting them do this to me? You know. Um, but it's like I so desperately wanted to belong to this group and to be accepted. Like, but I didn't want to be pinched, you know, and bullied and called names. But I realized like in that moment of like at this age, that was like the first kind of fracturing in terms of disembodiment of like that separation between what was going on inside of me internally and what was happening to me or what I was allowing to happen to me externally. And I feel like in my like little like seven-year-old mind, I just started to believe this lie that I was inferior to white people and that in order to be accepted, that like the real Christine just had to like shrink down and like my presence and like my being and my personhood just didn't matter. And like when you do that like year after year after year, like eventually you just, you disappear. And so, you know, my parents, um, they had immigrated to the U.S. in the 1960s and um, from Korea, from South Korea. And like right now, Korean culture is like really popular, like really hot, like K-pop and beauty products and Korean food and Korean dramas. But like in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, it was very not cool to be from Korea. And so it was like our food was weird, our houses smelled funny. And so all of us like second generation Korean Americans were like trying desperately to assimilate into white culture and just like tamp down any differences. So the, the, the beauty idea was like blonde hair, blue eyes, um, 36, 23, 36 were like the ideal measurements of, for a woman. And so all of us like Korean teenagers, um, we, so we were doing stuff like we were talking about this before the meeting started tonight. Um, there's this product called Sunin. <laughs> you remember? I don't think they sell it anymore. But it was sun in, and basically it was like to kind of highlighten your hair. So we would just like put all this sun in our hair and like go out of the sun. But like because our hair is so dark, it doesn't turn blonde. It turns orange. <laughs> it just you know. So we all had like this orange hair. Um, and then um, there's a Korean word. It's called sangapul, and it means um, eye crease. So Asians have what they call monolids. So it's interesting because I actually have one crease in my left eye and then a monolid on this eye. 
Um, but essentially it's like this idea of like the crease over your eye to make your eyes look bigger was very desirable. And so in the 70s and 80s, like all of these like usually girls would like cut little pieces of tape and like tape it on our eyelid so that when, it op when you open up your eye, you would have the little crease um, in your eye. Now, um, and then plastic surgery started getting more popular. And so now in Korea, it's just standard that like not just, you know, women, but men too would get this sangupul surgery so that they can have this, this crease um, in their eyes. So doing things like that, you know, wearing padded bras so that we would look more shapely. But essentially, it was like teen years were so much, my teen years were so much about like, how do I make my natural Korean features disappear so that I could more align with this like ideal, and it was always like white American beauty ideal. So, you know, that was like one piece of it. But like another piece of it was um, about this fr fracturing of spirit and body when it came to spirituality and what it meant to have faith. So my family was, you know, not at all an athletic family. So it was all like church and music, <laughs> like that, and that was it. Um, and so, you know, sports were not a part of um, growing up. You know, we weren't physically active. Like as a kid, I was pretty like skinny and weak. And so I was like always picked last for gym class teams. I was always out first in dodgeball. And um, so I think like I've always seen myself and had this experience of being just like a weak, weak skinny and weak. Um, and, and then, so that was, that was kind of my experience of the physical, but then with the spiritual, it's like, you know, I'm at church all the time, and what it means to have faith was so centered around, like, memorizing Bible verses, you know, going to Sunday school, and, like, really all about, like, increasing my knowledge about God, and it was, like, if you have the correct beliefs, then that will help you behave in the correct ways, which means that then you're, you're a, a good Christian. And when I finally went to seminary, like that just was reinforced, you know, where it was really all about like, you know, equipping us as ministers meant, you know, theology classes, biblical exegesis, learning Greek and Hebrew and like how to put together a sermon. And it had like, like, I don't think we ever talked about the body or like the physical world ever, like in my, in my seminary program. And when we did talk about the body, it was always about a source as, as it being a source of potential temptation. Um, and so when I was a teenager, like the only message I ever got from church about sex was don't do it. <laughs> like that was it. That was the only advice I had, like don't do it before marriage. And it's bad and anything that has to do with sex um, is shameful, you know, outside of marriage. And sexuality was really just na really narrowly defined as like intercourse. You know, like that's what, sexual that's what sexuality is all about. And I never really heard anything about like the goodness of the body, you know, nothing encouraging like curiosity or like celebration. And there was this idea that like, if you pay attention to your body, if you care at all about anything physical, like that's vain, you know, that's like vanity and that's not spiritual. Um, and so, um, you know, especially I feel like in your teen and young adult years, like for me, like what it means to be a woman and really exploring that and celebrating that, like it's so important. Um, but I went to a Christian college and seminary and um, I was one of the only women in my program. So you can imagine like all of my classes and just walking around campus, it's like a sea of men and then like me, and maybe like one or two other women. It's changed maybe now, but back, this is like the back of the 90s. 
And, you know, as a 20-something in seminary with all these, like, single guys, like, I felt really conspicuous. And I would do things, like, and sometimes, like, I mean, along with, like, being one of the only women on campus, it's, like, you know, also getting just unwanted male attention, too. So I would try to, like, tamp down anything that seemed too feminine about me. So like previously, I used to wear, you know, you guys remember the designer, Laura Ashley? She has like really flowery dresses. I used to be like very feminine. But then once I started going to seminary, um, like I just started wearing like sweatpants and like flannel shirts. I cut, I, I couldn't, I didn't have time to look for a picture of myself in seminary, but I should show you sometime. It was not a good look for me, but I basically, I cut my hair just, I just cut it all off. I used to have really long hair, like, down my back, and I just chopped it all off and made it really short. And some people look, like, Leisha looks so good, like, with a shaved head. It's not a good look. I look like a Q-tip. It was like this big head and my skinny little body. And it just, it did not look good on me at all. But it's like I didn't want to draw attention to the fact that I was a woman. But the problem was... I am a woman, you know, like I, that is who I am. But I just felt like I needed to kind of, you know, cut that part of me off. So I wanted to show you this, this other, these, uh, these are more recent pictures. And I, I just want, it's two pictures, and I just want you to, to notice my posture in these pictures, okay? So this one was taken maybe like six or seven years ago. So this is me with like, these are all pastors. It's like a pastor's meeting that happened in Queens. Okay, so here's me over here. And then this is a picture we took very recently when Gregory and um, Jenna Canero left. And this is me here. I'm curious, what do you notice about my posture? You're making yourself small. Yes, I'm making myself small. I was telling Leisha about this photograph earlier today, and I was like, I have no idea why I'm crouching down. <laughs> There's no reason for me to make myself small. But there's something about just instinctually, I do that. Like, I, I kind of just automatically, like, go down like this. And, um, yeah. And so, like, on, on one hand, it could be, like, I'm being courteous. Like, I'm, I'm conscious that there's other people in the photograph and, like, I don't want to cover other people up. But on the other hand, I really think where it comes from is this place of, of, um, of making myself small, you know, and, and shrinking. And, um, you know, I, I, I think somehow in my mind along the way, I've, I've like developed this like zero-sum game of thinking that in order to be in relationship with other people, like I have to disappear, you know, or I need to, I need to kind of tamp myself down. And culturally, particularly with Asian women, like Asian women historically, like they exist for other people. You know, and really it's like what's communicated to us is like what you want and what you need doesn't matter. And what's, what's prized and what's valued in, in a woman is what she does for other people. And it's like, you know, you sacrifice yourself on behalf of others. And if it gets to the point where like you're suffering on behalf of other people, like that's even, like that's even better. You know, that's even more, more prized. And to even entertain, like, what do I want? What do I think? How do I feel? Like, that's just considered, like, selfish, you know, and prideful. And so then that gets really tricky, um, especially, like, when you, when you tie that to, like, what it means to be a good Christian, you know? So it's like your disembodiment is tied to, like, oh, this is what it means to be, like, a good and faithful, a faithful Christian. So in my story, it's, like, this disembodiment, it, like, intersected with, like, 
race stuff and gender stuff and like what it means to be a, a Christian, like the spiritual stuff. And there's this other quote that I liked from, from that book where she writes, um, embodiment is the experience of being a body in a social context. We are bodies in relationship to each other. Our body and our personhood are so intimately connected that they can never be separated. We are not just a mind or brain carried around by a meat puppet of flesh and bones. Embodiment is a kind of remembering of who we really are. Disembodiment is not how we come into the world. It can be unlearned while embodiment, our birthright, can be remembered. So embodiment is a coming home, a remembering of our wholeness, and a reunion with the fullness of ourselves. So this is kind of final little turn in my story. There's like so much that more that I could have said, but um, yeah, but uh, I'll just say this one last thing. Like there were kind of redemption. So where like disembodiment started to turn into embodiment. So in, in 2009, um, you might remember, there was this really terrible earthquake that happened um, in Haiti. And um, Haiti, as a country, just had a really special place in my heart, because as a teenager, I had gone on a missions trip there with my church, and it had been this very like, life-changing, powerful experience. It's actually what, what, what made me feel called into ministry in the first place. And so that, that earthquake had happened, and so there was lots of like relief efforts. And a friend of ours, Jason, um, decided to, to sign up for a half marathon with World Vision um, to raise money for, for Haiti. And he just mentioned it to me. And just immediately in my mind, I felt like I wanted to do it too. Now you should remember, like, I'm completely not athletic <laughs> at all. Always been last in gym class, just totally not athletic at all. Never, I mean, Jimmy can attest, literally never exercised. And suddenly it was like, all right, I'm going to run a half marathon. <laughs> so, so I started training for it. And um, you know, doing sort of like three, you know, run three, one minute, you know, walk two minutes, like that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just like run, walk this thing. But then as I started doing it, like I was remembering, okay, I think as a kid, like I always had this this thought of like I'm just really weak and I'm like not athletic. But I remembered, oh, you know, like as a kid, actually running was something I really loved to do, and that I was actually like kind of okay at. Um, and so I started training. And it was like something being awakened in me, like something was like waking up in me. And I could feel like this energy, you know, that was like growing in me. And like the sensation of it was like, it's almost like if like my whole life I'm like shrinking down or like disappearing or being invisible. It was like almost like I was a ghost and you know, you could kind of like barely perceptible. Um, but then when I ran, it was like I was becoming more solid, you know, like that kind of feeling. And like sometimes I would run, and the phrase that would come into my mind is um, running into being. Like that, it was just like, like I'm running into being. And it was like, it was like I could see in my mind's eye, like I'm like a ghost, and then just like so suddenly becoming like more solid, like as I'm running. Because in running, like I had to impose my will, you know, like kind of on my own body, and I had to tap into my body's power, you know, in this new way that I just had never really experienced before. And, um, you know, so I was doing this run-walk thing, trying to go easy on myself. But then on the day of the actual race itself, I basically decided, like, okay, like, after three minutes, like, I think I feel like I could still keep going. So I was like, why don't I just, like, keep running until I just feel tired and then I'll walk. 
But then it's like I ran and then like I kept running and then I just kept on running and then I just ended up like running the entire like you know 13.1 miles straight. And I remember like the moment that like I crossed over the finish line, a thought popped into my head. When I turn 40, I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> like just immediately like that thought popped into my head. And then I did. So when I turned 40, I ran the Chicago Marathon. Um, in 2012 uh, with Jimmy's older sister, Gloria, who's the same age as me. And, um, and then we raised $40,000 for Restore, this organization that Jimmy was leading. And you know, like running um, has made me feel like powerful. You know, it made me feel like I can do hard things. It made me feel like I don't have to be invisible. And I can impose my will in the world and show up as my fully embodied self in a way that's like really life-giving to me and, and to others. So, um, you know, since then, I've, I've run numerous other races. It's been kind of spotty. Um, this year, I'm turning 50, uh, which is really hard to believe, and I'm hoping to run my third marathon this fall. Um, but, you know, embodiment continues to be just like a real struggle for me. I just forget, you know? And so, um, you know, I feel like these narratives that I've picked up along the way, like my body doesn't matter, manifest in things like, you know, I don't eat, I don't sleep well, I don't exercise, you know, all of that. And that somehow, you know, the spiritual things are more important than physical things, or that like physical things aren't spiritual things. You know, like that those messages are really hard to, to let go of. Um, and so like remembering for me right now is like really simple. So my Lenten disciplines right now are basically to follow my doctor's orders. And um, I was sharing with some of the staff, I was just saying like every time I go to the doctor for something, and I'll be like, I think I'm, I think I'm perimenopausal. Like I think it's menopause. Or I'll, I'll have my own diagnosis for like what I think is my problem. And then they'll always, my doctor will always be like, "Are you getting enough sleep at night?" And I'd be like, "No." Are you drinking water? And I'm like, "No." Are you exercising? <laughs> like he just goes through this like very basic list, and I'm like, "No, no, no." And he's like, "Well, why don't you try those things first, and then maybe we can talk about like other diagnoses." So my Lenten discipline is actually to follow my doctor's um, orders and just, you know, just go back to the basics. Um, so that's kind of where I am and where I have been. Again, I feel like there's so much more, but th those are some of the kind of basic parts of my story. Um, and as I share that with you, what we were going to do is we were going to have like share our story and then have like a pra do a practice that helps us. But then I was like, I can't have us like run around, <laughs> run around the sanctuary. <laughs> So what I thought could be helpful um, instead is maybe for us to do um, just like like seven to ten minutes of a practice of journaling, and we have some journals. So we'll pass it around. But what I want you to think about is um, that idea of like original goodness, you know, and then sort of like the fall and sort of redemption. And I have um, a few questions here. So the first question is um, just to think back to your childhood. You know, where did you experience original goodness in your body? Um, as you reflect back on your story, where have you experienced this dismembering? And then um, thirdly, you know, where have you experienced this remembering? And you know, where would you hope um, to remember that? <laughs> 